on in. The water's fine. Make your way into this sanctuary of worship. Welcome to Highland. If you are a guest with us today, we're honored to have you with us. Stand if you're able as we begin our worship today. For those of you who um, maybe in the past, you've, you see people raising their hands in worship and you kind of wonder what that feels like. Well, for me to not have, I'm left-handed, so I'm really incapacitated with this shoulder surgery, but I really like to use both hands in worship. But this is the extent of my worship. This is praise the Lord today. So if you're reluctant to like do this, then you can join me today and do praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's really safe. Nobody sees. Let me start by reading from Psalm 105 as we begin our journey of worship today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who rejoice seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Let's continue our journey of worship as the body of Christ. Welcome to Highland. The atmosphere is changing now For the Spirit of the Lord is here God fall fresh on us. We 
specific prayer and then we will all say Lord hear our prayer the screen will prompt you God we come to you humbly in prayer asking as always for your continual hand of restoration here at Highland we request your action on behalf of member Ruth Jackson who is receiving care in her home we also ask for your gentle care for the members of our congregation who are facing the pain of chemotherapy and radiation treatment. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for your restoration in the city of Abilene, and especially for the work done by Highland Counseling Center. We pray for the people in our city who seek counseling for marriages, depression, anxiety, trauma, church wounding, relationship stress, fear, and so many other things. Vulnerability takes courage. And so we also ask for your help for our community to recognize the elements of confession present in the counseling space. Finally, we ask for you to give strength and guidance to our counselors as they manage these safe and sacred moments. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray lastly for your restorative work in the world particularly in the aftermath of the Maui fires. Give us hope for the good work of the Lake Jackson Disaster Assistance Mission and their action inside the situation. Ours is a world where it is easy to forget the concerns of those whose long-term suffering is not nearby. So let our hearts grieve for the victims and for the land. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Now. Please join me in praying the Lord's Prayer. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power.
Christ my Savior. Christ my Savior. You rescued me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You set me free. Christ my Savior. Christ my Savior. You rescued me. Yes, you did. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. My name is Kelly Young, and this is my wife, Joanne, and we want to welcome you to this table of communion this morning. All are welcome to participate, and as a reminder here, in a little while, when after the servers uh, start passing out the trays, remember, take uh, two of the cups, but hold on to them, the bread and the wine, and uh, don't take them yet. After uh, I say a prayer in a little while, we'll take those together upon our direction. In thinking about welcoming everyone to the table today, I was struck by the memory of various tables that have been in my life. Growing up in our small house with five kids, you could not walk from the kitchen to the rest of the house if the size of the table were up for dinner. We didn't know that our house was small. We just knew that we had a place to belong. While I was in graduate school, I spent many dinners at a table of an older couple. They were my grandparents' age. They were encouraging to me as I had moved to a new place and was navigating a new school. Their steadfast faith was an example to me to follow. While I was over having lunch one day, they mentioned that they were getting a new table and chairs. I asked what they were going to do with their old table and chairs. They said I could have them if I wanted them. Side note, I was about to get married and we did not have a lot of furniture. After 34 years of marriage, we still have that table and chairs in our kitchen. For me now, that table is a, is a connection to my friends who gave it to me, but it is so much more. It is where my kids have carved pumpkins and colored Easter eggs, where we have had family meals and given our highs and lows for the day, where we have eaten and shared and prayed together. When they were downsized, sorry, our dining room table is from, my, from Kelly's parents. When they were downsizing, we told them that we would love to have their dining room set. Again, it represents for me and us the legacy of our family's faith and hospitality to family and friends. Kelly's parents were always so good at inviting people to dinner, especially at holidays, people who might not have a family to be with. I have to admit that I sometimes got irritated that there was some stranger at our family Christmas dinners, but they were being the hands and feet of Jesus, including those that didn't have a table to go home to. Our dining table has been used for family celebrations like Christmas, Easter, and birthdays. It has also been part of our small group dinners and dinners with friends. This dining table has an irritating characteristic where if you hit the leg, it shakes the whole table. If you've been at our table, you know what I'm talking about. So our table isn't perfect, but it serves as a metaphor for today's communion table. You don't have to be perfect to be here, and all are welcome. And there is a legacy of faith that is being passed down from generation to generation. We are glad that you are here joining us in this profession of our faith and of our connection as family. Servers, please come forward.
Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this time, this time that you've set aside for us to remember your love and Jesus' love and the community that you've created for us. And thank you for those who have been here at Highland for decades and who have seen all of the tables that have been used and all the history and all of the people and the stories that they know so well. And thank you for those who are maybe brand new here today who have never been before, but who can participate and who find that, yeah, we have a wobbly table, but this is a place of love and family and community. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. The body of Christ. The blood of Christ. Thanks be to God.
still standing in the stream of our worship, we have a special opportunity to bless the Reese family. And Darren has accepted a position as the preaching minister in Belton. And so uh, we thought it very appropriate. We're going to miss them. We love them. But very appropriate to take a moment today and offer a blessing. Sarah Campbell will anoint them with oil and invite you to participate in this blessing after just a few words. So this isn't the first time that we've been here. Let me get over to the side. Our prayers uh, surrounded you all in Thailand as you creatively shared the aroma of Christ. And later, our prayers joined you as Darren served as Highlands Director of Global Missions, a role in which he called us to see afresh the mission of God. And now, we're praying for a new chapter in your lives in Belton. As Darren assumes the role of preaching minister at the Belton Church of Christ. And it's an exquisite joy for us to pray for you once again. Of course, we realize that this is not about our prayers, but it's about God's accompaniment of the music of your lives. Darren, you've helped us see the world and Christ's redemption more clearly beyond mere promise or sorrow. And you radiate spiritual grounding and wisdom. Bryn, you have courageous goodness. Meg, you care deeply for others. And Dax, you have a passionate spirit, especially on the basketball court. Each of you has eyes full of wonder. 
Psalm 44 honestly speaks of the lovely and ugly bits of life, the pockets of sorrow we sometimes carry. With a clear-eyed view of that landscape, the very first words of that psalm point to true north and are fitting for the ministry that the races are undertaking. Psalm 44 begins with these words. We heard with our own ears, O God, our parents have told us the story of the things you did in their days, you yourself in days long ago. No sword of their own won the land. No arm of their own brought them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. Sarah will anoint each of the Reese's uh, with some oil and then will invite us all to be part of the blessing. As we ask God for this blessing, I want to take a moment, and on behalf of the Highland Church, I want to thank you for loving us so well. So thank you. Yeah. Now I'd like you um, to invite you to join in the blessing with us, this prayer of blessing. So if you will extend a hand toward the Reese family. Darren, Ann, Bren, Meg, Dax. May God, may God counsel and uphold you as you continue, continue to follow him and help others find deep joy in life in God. May the light of God's face, the sword of the spirit, and Christ's love be with you forever and always. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Good morning. My name is Ashley Sturman, and I am one of the student ministers here at Highland, and it is very, very good to be with all of you this morning. Each of your presences is a gift here in worship, so thank you for being here and for engaging with us in this practice. Um, speaking of worship, it is time for His Kids Worship, so if you are ages three through kindergarten, you are invited out of these South Foyer doors to worship prepared just for you. <laughs> Um, okay, I have a lot of information to go through, so bear with me. If you are looking for a way that you can get connected here, either with other people or with the work that God is doing here at Highland, um, you can fill out a Connect card either online or in the seat back in front of you and drop those in the offering boxes um, at the back. You can also find someone wearing one of these lanyards and ask us what's going on, or you can visit the welcome desk in the atrium. I have a couple of specific ways for you to connect if you're looking for that. Um, parents of older teenagers up through launching young adults, you are invited to attend a pop-up class starting next week taught by Amy Boone. 
The class is called Untethered, and it will meet in room 111 over the next eight weeks, going through the book Finding Our Way Forward by Melanie Springer Mock. And if you are ready to connect at Highland through service, I have two specific asks for you. The first is serving communion. So we need several communion servers throughout both of our services every week. And the way we keep track of that is through Sign Up Genius. And the link to that goes out every week in the Avenue. If you have no idea what the Avenue is, that is our weekly um, email newsletter that goes out on Sunday mornings. And you can sign up for that on the homepage of our website. And then the second opportunity for you to serve is Fall Fest. So Fall Fest is three weeks from today, from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. at Moody Ranch. This is far and away the biggest event that Highland puts on all year, and we could not do it without a lot of help. I was running the numbers last week, and it comes down to we need, in order to do the event safely, about one in every five Highland members to volunteer for this event. So even just thinking about the people that are in this room, that's quite a few. And the reason it's so many is because this is a two-hour event, but we want all of our members to be able to experience and enjoy the event. So we ask for volunteers to only volunteer for like a 30-minute to an hour time slot. So if you're volunteering, you're not going to be um, siding your life away for that whole Sunday. If you can hear the urgency and the desperation in my voice, but you really can't volunteer that day, there's another way for you to help. We need candy. Um, and we have buckets in the atrium and in the south foyer over the next few weeks. We did a very good job filling it up today, so thank you. Um, but if you think of that while you're at the grocery store, pick up a bag, drop it off on over the next few Sundays, we would really appreciate that. We had 1,100 something people last year, so we need a lot of candy um, in order to put on a good event, so thank you. Um, Fall Fest is something that is right in line with Highland's vision to restore Highland and restore Abilene. This is a very fun event that we get to put on for our members and our neighbors throughout Abilene completely for free um, because of the generosity and giving that you provide every week. There are three different ways to give, as shown on the slide, text to give, give online, or cash or check in the offering boxes. And as always, we are very grateful and appreciative of the ways that you partner with us um, in restoring Highland, restoring Abilene, and restoring the world. Um, at this time, we will hear our message for the week from Mike Cope. Good morning, dear friends. Let's pray together. Oh God, will you speak afresh to us today through an old story as you remind us that the fire of the Spirit works in the warp and woof of our daily lives. Toward that end, oh God, please pour through me now the gift of preaching. In the name of Christ, we pray and we all say, Amen. I know some of you feel like you've stepped into a time machine, but I want you to know that this is home still. My job with Pepperdine, I'm on the road a lot, preaching a lot, especially on the West Coast, but this has always been home. It's been home for 32 years, and I want to take just a moment to thank those of you who are leaders, the elders, the ministry staff, those of you who teach and lead ministries. I'm so grateful for your work among us. And I'm especially grateful today to Shane for inviting me to step in this morning. I was thinking yesterday, I wonder how many funerals I've done 
right here in the last 32 years. Hundreds, I guess. But the amazing thing is that nearly all of them were for people who don't have a Wikipedia page. They were people largely unknown outside of our church community. They just raised families and followed God and reached out to neighbors and so on. But most were not those known by the Washington Post and the New York Times. Yesterday, it was a privilege to speak at the funeral for Kay Meredith. All those many years I preached, and Kay and Floyd sat on the second row. She was an aerobic woman, moved a lot, and she always was writing notes and flipping through her Bible, and she was locked in to me nodding vigorously. And in a non-charismatic, mostly white church, that's like jumping in the aisles, <laughs> screaming hallelujah. I took it for what it was. She was a remarkable woman. We were privileged to live around her. And yet, her life was in other ways a simple life. She came out of relative poverty in southern Missouri. She and Floyd lived together all of these years. The family asked me to read the end of Proverbs 31, which I thought was fitting. It's the poem, the acrostic poem of the worthy woman, the woman of valor. And some of you know the Hebrew word there, the eshet which appears only three times in the Old Testament, twice in Proverbs, and then once in the book that follows Proverbs in the Hebrew Old Testament, which is the book of Ruth. And that seems so appropriate because Kay was indeed a woman of valor. But I also think about Ruth. There, there was nothing really spectacular about most of that story. In fact, sometimes I wonder how it squeezed its way into Scripture. I know it mentions David at the end, but before that, there, there, there are no impressive kings. There are no fiery prophets. There's no, there's no cloud. There's no fire. There, it says it's in the time of judges, but there's no Samson. There's no Gideon. There's no Deborah. There's no Samuel. It's the story of a farmer and two widows, which sounds like a hackneyed joke. And I think that's part of why I've always loved the book of Ruth. It doesn't miss in my mind that my most influential grandparent was named Ruth, but it's more than that because my life, well, it was just an average life. I, I was born and raised the same place the Beverly Hillbillies were. I attended school at an elementary school named Field. My most influential teacher was Mrs. Land. I had Mrs. Land at field school. In fourth grade, I went to intermediate school, which was ingeniously named Intermediate School. It was so nondescript, they didn't bother naming it. And in all the way through sixth grade, my most memorable moment is the day I was sick in fourth grade. 
And I got up from my class with these towering sixth graders all around, and I made my way to the principal's office, and I opened the door, and I walked in, and I walked up to an intimidating Amazonian woman who was leaning across, and she was leaning across, and she said, may I help you? And I said, I'm sick, and I need to go home. What I wanted to say was, I want my mommy, but you don't say that in fourth grade. So I just said, I'm sick. And she said, there's only one way you can go home. You must have a note from your mother. And I said, but I didn't know I was going to be sick. And she said, I can't let you go home without a note from your mother. Shall I call your mother? And I said, yes, please. Well, there are no cell phones, of course, so she picks up the phone and she calls. Four, five, one, four, four, nine, three. You're thinking, wow, you've got a great memory. No, it's still my mom's number today. <laughs> she doesn't answer. No, you, you don't have Apple Watches. You don't know if you're outside. And she says, I'm sorry, your mother didn't answer. I said, I need to go home. And she said, there's only one way you can go home. You'll have to either go back to class or sit here in the office. And it was at that moment with really no warning that I vomited all over her. All over the counter, the floor, everywhere. I erupted. I was Vesuvius and she was Pompeii. <laughs> if it was real lava, she'd still be encased today. Children in Southwest Missouri would take trips in 2023 to say, this is what life was like in the 1960s. <laughs> I'm 67. It's still my gold medal vomiting experience. By the way, turns out there were two ways you could go home. <laughs> a note from your parent or vomit on the associate principal. Like your life, just kind of an average life. Just stuff. And that's why I love, it's almost like the arrangement of Scripture in the Hebrew Bible said... Here in Proverbs 31 is a woman of valor. And then the next book, Ruth says, and this is what it looks like. And I love that it's not Queen Esther. It's not the prophet Huldah. It's not the leader, Deborah, though they all were in their own ways. But it specifically speaks of Ruth. The book of Ruth begins in great sadness. At the end of the first chapter, Naomi goes back home. And as she walks into the little village, women aren't even sure it's her. I know how time works. It's obvious up here. Some wrinkles, some gray hair. But to not know her, that's a different kind of aging. That's not just the wrinkles of time. That's the creases of grief and of loss. It's the kind of aging that Botox and plastic surgeons can't take care of. It's what comes when life is pressed down on you so hard. 
And so as she comes back into her little village, they just whispered, is that Naomi? But there's been so much grief. And it's all there in a nutshell in the first paragraph. And it begins with famine. It quits raining. Now, in our Western society, we compensate for lack of rain with modern technology, but we still see pictures from third world countries of sunken cheeks and distended bellies, of ribs. We see what that does. And all around that little village, which ironically was called the house of bread, Bethlehem, you got to know moms and dads are sitting there discussing, can we survive one more year? Can we make it one more time? And at some point, the husband, Elimelech, and the wife, Naomi, said, we cannot. So they get their two boys, Malon, Kilion, and off they go to, of all places, the other side of the Dead Sea, to Moab. Not exactly popular family destination for Israelites. Because as many of you know, in the Old Testament, the stories of Moab are not usually good stories. For example, in Genesis 19, you find out the whole clan started out of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his older daughter. And then you read on in Numbers 25 when the Israelites are scooting through the wilderness. They come to Moab and the women of Moab come out and they have relations with the men of Israel and 24,000 are killed in a day. It's so severe that in Deuteronomy 23, there's the warning, don't befriend a Moabite. Not for 10 generations. Don't even think of it. Don't let them into the place of worship. And yet, ironically, that's where Elimelech has to go for food. So down they go. And and now our camera shifts from Elimelech to Naomi because she loses her husband. She's a vulnerable widow in a foreign land. Well, the sons marry, but if you're a Jewish mom, you're not exactly looking at the ideal marrying pool with Moabite women, but that's who's there. So both of the sons marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. But then for 10 years, nobody seemingly can get pregnant, which in that society they would have obviously wanted to do as soon as possible. 10 years, so 10 years times 12 months a year times two women, that's 240 disappointments. And then at the end of the 10 years, the unspeakable. Both of Naomi's sons die. The three men in the story, Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, they're, they're dead, and now it's the story of three widows. And a part of me wants to rush on to the the good stuff about Boaz and Ruth, but really on behalf of sufferers, I think it's, it's good just to pause there and to say there are times in life that are so hard, you wonder, did God kind of tiptoe out of the story? Well, at some point, word comes to Naomi that fortunes have changed back home, that the winds have shifted, rain has come, so she's going back to Bethlehem. 
And on she goes with her two daughters-in-law until somewhere along the way it hits her. Wait a minute. There's no future for the two of you, Orpah and Ruth. You go back home and marry, get on with life. And both of the women say, no, 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 Naomi, we're going with you. But she doubles down and says, I won't have it. I can't have any more sons. And if I could, are you going to wait on them? You go back home. Turns out Orpah is the reasonable one. She goes back, but Ruth doesn't go. Ruth says those remarkable words of chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Now, those of us who are of a certain age, we know that back in the 70s and 80s, every Church of Christ wedding included that song. Whither thou goest, I will go. It was the Church of Christ canon in D. Really, it was Paco Bell for acapella. That's what that was. We sang it, and the, the bride would be there, and the groom would be there, and somebody would sing that. Which is funny, because that's not the original context. One time I wanted to be at a wedding where the couple comes together and then she turns to her mother-in-law and sings that song. That's how that ought to go. It's a commitment. You can't shake me that easily, Naomi. We're talking about a woman of substance here, of Ruth. And so back they go. Now these two childless, vulnerable women and that's when we get to the scene I described. They walk into the house of bread, and the women are going, is that, is that Naomi? It doesn't look like Naomi, but it kind of does. And they say, Naomi, is that you? Naomi means pleasant or happy. Naomi says, please do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because that means bitter. And she said, I went away full, and I've come back with nothing. To which Ruth is probably thinking, none taken. But relatively speaking, that's got to be how it felt. If you're somebody sitting right in the middle of Mara right now, of some bitterness, sadness, the Bible sees you. It honors you. It recognizes those moments. And it won't press on until it does name them. But chapter 2, you've got to do something. You can't sit there forever. And R Ruth is the younger, so she goes out to work in some fields. She's going to take advantage of Jewish law, which watches out fastidiously for widows and immigrants and the poor. It's going to watch for them. So much so that it says you leave the corners of your field so that the poor and the immigrants and the widows can come along and get some food. In fact, when you're taking it up and you drop some stocks, you just leave it there because they're going to come behind you and need it. The deed may have your name on it, but it belongs to God. This is God's land. And so the widows and the poor and the immigrants will come through and they will be provided. Ruth's going to take advantage of that. So out she goes into a field and the Bible writer says, it just happened, wink, wink, to be the field that belonged to somebody related to Elimelech, her dead father-in-law. We'll find out later. It's Boaz. 
But she goes out not knowing that, and she starts working. But Boaz comes in. And you can kind of hear the music build in the background. The owner, El Jefe, has walked in here. It, it would be a funny thing to, to hit a pause button for a moment, and somebody's off to the side watching the movie this time saying, you know what, I hope those two get together. Nobody would do that. She's young, he's old. She's a Moabite, he's an Israelite. She has a 10-year track record of not being able to conceive. He undoubtedly is going to want some children. She comes with baggage. He doesn't want baggage. Nobody would pick them to go together, but in the beginning, he's just inquiring about her. Who is she? And he's told the story of Ruth. And what he's told is about her steadfast love, her loyalty to her mother-in-law. That this Moabite woman gave up everything back home to come with this Israelite woman, her mother-in-law, accompanying her on the way and is now working so the two of them can eat. And Boaz, Boaz is going to make sure they eat. So he, he tells her, when you need a drink, you go get a drink with my men. And when you go out there, you, you follow behind. And then he tells his servants, you make sure there's some left behind. Let's be sure and drop a lot today. And so Ruth keeps working. He says to her, may the Lord put his wings over you. We'll remember that and come back to it in just a second. But may the Lord provide and put his wings over you. She keeps working all the way through the barley harvest, all the way through the wheat harvest. And now we come to chapter 3. And at that point, it's clear that Boaz is in it to win it. Boaz is going to, it looks like, it looks like he's going to make good on family obligations. And so Naomi says to Ruth, it's time to kick it up a notch. Today when you go out into the fields, take a bath. Dab on a little Chanel number five with its hint of barley stalk and malt grain. Put on your best dress. Wait until Boaz has eaten and drank and goes to bed, and then you just scooch in there with him. And yes, it's just as awkward in Hebrew as it is in English. I can't really say this from that one, other than to say wedding proposals look different in different societies. Not the way we do it, but back then it would have been clear that there was an obligation Boaz could be invited to, and so she does just that, and he wakes up and he says, who's in bed? Who is this? And she says, it's me. And she says to him, why don't you put the corner of your garment, it's a euphemism, put the corner of your garment over me. A wedding invitation, I suppose, of sorts. But the, the interesting thing is, it's the same Hebrew word as wings. It's like Boaz said, may the wings of God be over you. And now Ruth is saying, but maybe God's wings will be over me by your protection. Maybe you're going to enter into this story on behalf of Naomi and on my behalf and even on behalf of your relative, Elimelech. And that's when we find out there's another guy. 
that we hadn't heard about yet. There's a kinsman redeemer that's even closer, and he's got to have the first option. So the next morning, again, Ruth has lots of food. She goes home, and Naomi says, trust me, I know men. This will be taken care of quickly. So the next morning at the city gate, there's Boaz, bright and early waiting, and along comes the kinsman redeemer. Boaz explains part of the situation, and it immediately looks all like upside, like how can this be wrong? And he's all in, and then Boaz, Boaz reads the small print of the contract. It comes with two widows, one's a Moabite, she can't have kids, and if you have a child, it'll be credited to Elimelech, and the guy's out. And Boaz is in. And a story that begins with three deaths ends with a wedding and a birth of a baby named Obed who had a baby later named Jesse who had a baby later named David. Which is surely how the story gets in there. And then it winds up in Matthew chapter 1 because the story of the Savior is a story of incarnation and God working through mundane lives with people just like this, born not in a palace, but in those humble circumstances. Oh, what, a, what a remarkable story this is. Uh, to be honest, one of the things it's hard to see in English is in chapter 4 and verse 1, when Boaz speaks to the kinsman redeemer, what he says is, hey, come over here, plony almoni. Now, when you translate the Bible, nobody really knows much what to do with that. Obviously, your Bible doesn't say plony almoni. It's a weird Hebrew phrase that's something like hocus pocus, double trouble. And apparently, it just means something like John Doe. In other words, we're not even going to name him. He's just Mr. Anonymous, dude with no name. Everybody else is named Elimelech, Malon, Kilion, Ruth, Orpah, Boaz, but not this guy because he wouldn't step into the story. It was too inconvenient. I like how the Greek translation of the Old Testament puts it. It translates it, come over here, O hidden one. He's hidden because nobody wants to even mention him. But these other people, they're just living these faithful lives they're working out in the barley field. They're doing these simple things. Just like the woman whose eulogy I did yesterday, like Kay. The morning after our daughter died in 1994, I hadn't slept, so I walked out to get our newspaper that she and Floyd delivered every morning. And I took the rubber band off. And there inside was this note she'd written, full of love and encouragement and hope. And, and come to find out, I was just one of many people who received blessing upon blessing from her, a woman whose name will most assuredly not be a page in Wikipedia. But that's how the story of Scripture goes. It's not just giants of faith who wind up in, in Hebrews 11. In fact, had you been there at the time, you would have been surprised their names would wind up there. 
It's people like all these folks I've got to bury the last 32 years here. Well, to be honest, it's people like you. It's people who've had successes and failures. It's people who've gathered around the table of the Lord. It's stay-at-home parents who think if they read one more book, their head will blow off. But they keep doing it. That's the work of the kingdom. It's the people fixing meals and punching clocks. The work of the kingdom gets expanded into these daily mundane activities of your life. It's writing tests and taking tests and grading tests and explaining what happened to your parents after the tests. It's stepping in to church on days you don't feel like it. It's going out to your neighbors with the meal. It's the work of the kingdom. And yes, in the big scheme of things, when you back up and take the lens of Scripture, you eventually see a name like David that jumps out at you, and you're reminded, oh, there's royalty everywhere, but it's not just in David. It's in Jesse and Obed and Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. My dear friends, your, your life is remarkable. This is how the, the economy of the kingdom works. It's God pouring his spirit into you and sending you out into the world he loves. And it's those daily tasks of faithfulness that wind up making all the difference in the world. And you might not wind up being the names that are there as soon as the movie's over on the screen. You may just be those whose names scroll after everybody left the theater and threw their popcorn away. But it doesn't matter because God used your work, your faithfulness to his glory beyond what you could ask or imagine. Let's stand together. The word I send you out with today my friends, is mundane. Mundane is a great word. Exciting is a good word. Exceptional is a lovely word. But mundane, that's a pretty good word too. Most of life is lived there. It's going out into a barley field to feed your mother-in-law. It's doing the next right thing. It's keeping your eyes open for the work of Christ. And so go out. Your, your, your life matters. I, I don't know if any of our names will be remembered 100 years from now. I don't know what people will know about our church 250 years from now. It doesn't matter. This is the day the Lord is at work among us. So go out in his name. He is ablaze in spirit through your life. Amen. Go in peace.